Welcome to Thrive Community Podcast. We are a church community that is passionate about helping you thrive in your life with Jesus. If you're after more information about Thrive Community, hop onto our website at www.thrivecommunity.au. We hope you feel encouraged and inspired by this message. So I so said we, we, we started this a few weeks ago, talking about finding rest for our souls at our place. And we just sense that there's more that God wants to do in that. There's more in the journey that he wants to reveal, more that he wants to speak, more that he wants to unpack. And as I was reflecting on finding rest for our souls, one of the things that struck me, I was thinking about Joel and Lucas and our kids and how hard it is for them to actually find stuff sometimes. Right? And, and I, I realized that, I don't know whether it's a guy thing, but as a husband and a father, I think I've realized that the ability to find things isn't necessarily something that you're born with, right? It's actually a skill that you need to to learn and work on. And I'm seeing lots of male nods. I think there's times where we've asked Joel to go find his slippers and they'll be sitting side by side and he'll come back with one of them. And you kind of go, well, Joel, where's the other one? They were right next to each other. I only found one. (laughs) But finding things is something that at times is easier said than done. Right, I think I've probably had a go at the kids at times for not finding something and I'm like, okay, I'll stomp upstairs trying to find something and actually it's not where I thought it was. And finding things sometimes is harder than it seems and it often requires us to slow down and perhaps not move on too quickly, take the time to pick up the pile of clothes and look what's underneath or whatever it might be. Return back to the same place again and again because we didn't look in this corner or we didn't look over here. And finding things often requires us to slow down and take time. And it's something that we need to deliberately choose to do. And I think it's the same in our spiritual lives as well, that finding deep spiritual truths, finding true heart transformation doesn't happen when we're rushing and moving quickly through life. It actually happens when we choose to slow down and take time and linger and remain in different spaces. I was reminded of Luke chapter 2, 23 to 45. And this is Jesus when he was just a boy and he gets left behind in Jerusalem. And it says, when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. And so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. And I just love the words of returning and seeking and lingering in that passage. And I feel like it speaks so much about the journey that we need to go on if we're going to find rest for our souls. We need to be people who are willing to linger and remain behind and return perhaps to to places again and again and again. And so we originally had some other things planned for these first couple of weeks of July, but we sense strongly that we do need to linger longer on finding rest for our souls because there's, as I said, more that God wants to do. And as we seek him, we're really believing that we'll find a a depth of rest that we haven't experienced before. 
because of everything. I think rest is one of those things that we do need to return to again and again and again. It's not something that is just discovered in a moment and then you move on, but it's, a, it's an ongoing journey. And just like is talked about in Luke chapter 2 there, I think it's often issues of our soul and some of the emotional stuff or mental things that we're wrestling with that at times perhaps we move on too quickly or we make assumptions around who's looking after it or whose responsibility it is, just as the same as Joseph and Mary assumed that Jesus was being sorted out by those around him. Oftentimes we move on too quickly. We have these assumptions around the stuff that's going on in our mind and our emotions. But finding rest for our souls is truly a forever journey. And thank you, Bessie. I don't know whether she can hear But she shared a scripture on her Instagram this week from Psalm 116, verse 7. And it says, Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. And again, just speaking about rest in our souls being something we need to return back to and choosing to come back to it again and again. And so that's what we're going to do this morning is return to that beautiful invitation that Jesus gives us in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we started opening up that passage a couple of weeks ago in our discussion. And we talked about how here it says you will find rest for your soul. It doesn't say rest for your body. It doesn't say rest for your spirit. And Jeremiah 6.16, the other place that talks about rest for your souls. Again, it's just for our souls that rest ultimately or primarily is an issue for our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions. And we had some, some really great conversation around that as we were sharing and opening that up. And as is often the case as is almost always the case, it's something that someone else said that ministered to me the most. It wasn't any of my own insights, it was what someone else shared in our time together. And Julie made a comment about how finding rest is possessing and taking back the land of the soul realm. And there was something about that that really grabbed me and I wrote it down at the time. And I'm not sure whether you realize this or not, Julie, but that actually is supported by scripture. That statement I've discovered in Hebrews chapter three, and it's talking about, You know, Israel wandering in the wilderness and not entering in the promised land. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And God says, So I swore an oath in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest, the promised land, because of their unbelief and their disobedience. They weren't able to enter into the promised land of rest. You see, rest is actually our promised land. And I'm not sure whether we give it the priority that it deserves in our lives, in the busyness of our society these days. Perhaps we put rest lower down on the priority list and fill our lives with all sorts of activity and feeling like our value and our identity comes from doing, 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 rather than recognizing that actually rest is our promised land. And from that place, fruitfulness will flow. And so I've been reading through all sorts of different passages of scripture around rest and the Sabbath and what that means. And I've been drawn specifically to Exodus 23. Because in Exodus 23, there's a portion that talks about the Sabbath and how 
you know, under the law, you worked for six days and then you had one day rest. And after talking about the rest and the Sabbath, it goes on then to speak about taking the promised land in the same passage, which I find really interesting. There's this discussion around rest and Sabbath and it goes straight on the heading in the Amplified says, conquest of the land. There's this idea of taking and possessing the land that follows on from a discussion around rest. And so I'm going to read a a chunk of scripture here from Exodus 23. I'm going to read from verse 20, probably through to 30, 31. I'm reading from the Amplified, which is, as I said, I'm sure you've worked that out by now, my kind of go-to translation. Exodus 23, 20 to 31. And it says... This is God speaking to the people of Israel. Behold, I am going to send an angel before you to keep and guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Speaking about bringing them into the promised land. Be on your guard before him. Listen to and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him or provoke him for he will not pardon your transgression since my name is in him. But if you will indeed listen to and truly obey his voice and do everything that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. I love that promise. And we're going to dig into that a little bit later on. But what a great promise. If we listen and obey, God will be an enemy to our enemies and he will be an adversary to our adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the land of the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Canaanite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, all the ites. I think you've probably heard messages of people talking about the the ites before. I will reject them and completely destroy them. You shall not bow down to worship their gods, nor serve them, nor do anything in accordance with their practices. You shall completely overthrow them and break down their sacred pillars and images of pagan worship. You shall serve only the Lord your God. And he shall bless your bread and water. I will also remove sickness from among you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror ahead of you and I will throw you into confu- throw into confusion all the people among whom you come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you in flight. I will send hornets ahead of you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite and the Hittite before you. I will not drive them out before you in a single year so that the land does not become desolate due to lack of attention and the wild animals of the field do not become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you have increased and are strong enough to take possession of the land. I find that a really interesting statement that God's saying, I'm not going to clear them out in a single year, but I'm going to drive them out little by little so that you are able to increase and be strong enough to take possession of the land. And I think sometimes, again, we think we want suddenlies and these immediate breakthroughs, but actually that's often not the best thing for us because we're not able to steward the freedom that would come. Sometimes it's better to find freedom little by little so we can steward the wholeness and steward the freedom that God has for us. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines. And so there's this whole passage here where God's giving instruction and direction to the Israelites around how he's going to lead them into the promised land, how he's going to clear out the enemies that are there and also the specific things that he wants them to do to partner with him and the work that he's going to do. And I believe that this here is a picture and a blueprint of of what it looks like to find and steward rest for our souls. 
This is a picture of possessing the promised land of rest for our souls. And so we're going to dig into this passage and walk through it today and perhaps next week as well. And I'm believing that as we do that, God is going to help open our eyes to just grab a hold of some keys that take us deeper into his rest, where we find freedom in a way that we haven't experienced before. Freedom from that yoke of slavery, freedom from religion, freedom from the enemies perhaps that have been resisting and fighting us for far too long. And when we're talking about finding rest for our souls, you know, here the, the focus is not so much on ceasing all of our activity, right? This, this, this is more about finding peace in our internal world in the midst of our everyday life because, you know, the, the practical application is not going to be run away to the mountains and become a monk in a monastery, right? That, the reality is we, 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 we live lives and we're called to be light in the environments that we're in. We're not called to all run away and move to, to the mountains as much as we might want to do that at times. And perhaps that feeling itself is a sign that we need more rest for our souls if we want to escape to the mountains and run away. But this is about finding peace internally in the midst of our everyday lives. And so looking at Exodus 23 and those first couple of verses 20 and 21, God says, behold, I'm going to send an angel before you to keep and guard you on the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. And he's the first thing that God says to the people of Israel. He says, be on your guard before him. Listen to and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious toward him or provoke him for he will not pardon your transgression since my name is in him. And I find this passage actually really interesting. Because God says here, he's sending an angel to guard Israel. And then he tells Israel to be on guard around the guard that he's sending. <laughs> I'm sending an angel to guard you, but I want you to be on guard around him. And that in itself is quite an intriguing statement. And as I've thought about it and reflected on it, I actually think there's a key here for us. And that is that in order to stay within the guard and the protection of God, we need to stay on guard within our hearts and our souls. To stay within the protection and the guard of God, we need to stay on guard within our hearts and our souls. And, and that, I think, is in many ways the foundation of going on a journey of finding rest for our souls. We will, we will never find rest and never be at rest if we don't properly guard our hearts and our souls. If we're letting anything and everything in, we will never find ourselves at rest. So rest ultimately is found in the guard and in the protection of God. Psalm 91 verse 1 makes this clear. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. There's this idea of, of being guarded and protected in the presence of God. And in that place, we're able to find rest. So we need to be those who find and live in the shelter of the Most High. And the way we do that is to stay on guard within our souls and within our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And so if we want to be people who are growing in finding rest for our souls, we need to be people who are growing in what it means to guard our hearts. And I think just the words above all else, guard your heart shows that that's something really important that we need to give attention to and, and focus on because the way we guard our hearts determines so much about how the rest of our lives play out. And the same principle is picked up in 3 John 2, speaking of our souls. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things 
and be in health just as your soul prospers. And again, the the prosperity of our souls influences the prosperity of all those other things. That's just as your soul prospers or even as your soul prospers. And so I'm sure we've probably seen this play out in our own lives or in the lives of others where you know that there is stuff going on in the heart or the soul of perhaps someone that you know or in your own life and that begins overflowing into other parts of our lives. Right? The way we guard our hearts and our souls determines so much of how the rest of our lives play out. It begins to overflow in our relationships and how we interact with others if there's stuff going on in, inside of us. It can flow into our parenting or our, our family circumstances. It can flow into our physical health. There are people who struggle with physical symptoms because of issues in their heart and their soul that are undealt with. And so we need to get into what it means to guard our hearts and our souls. If we want to find rest, rest is found in the protection and the the guard of God. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to guard our hearts? I'm not sure whether you've spent much time thinking about that before. How do we actually do that? What does that look like in our everyday lives? Because I think in the past, and perhaps you've thought about this before as well, at times that kind of above all else guard your heart comes across like, well, I need to try harder. I need to work harder at stopping certain thoughts and doing this and doing that in my own strength. And, and the reality is I've tried that before and it, it never works, right? You kind of, maybe you might have a, a day where you feel like you're a good guard. And then, you know, I'm reminded of those cartoons where the security guard falls asleep and all the baddies kind of run through. You know, I, I feel like I'm one of those. If I'm doing it in my own strength, I'm not a very good nor a consistent guard if I'm trying to do it in my own strength. But praise God, he's promised to help us with this. And guarding our hearts isn't about us just trying harder ourselves, but actually Ephesians 4 verses 6 to 9 tells us what guards our hearts. And it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, just, pure, whatever things are lovely and of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate and think on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, it's not human strength and effort and striving that is the guard of our heart and our mind, but it's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. You might go, well, that's great, but what does that, what does that look like? How do, we, how do we allow the peace of God to be that God and be a consistent God for our hearts and our minds? And just in those couple of verses from Philippians 4, it gives us some great keys on how to do that, that we are protected by the peace of God through three things. First of all, it's through prayer, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There's this idea that if we're going to be those that are guarding our hearts and our minds and having the peace of God guard our hearts and our minds for us, we need to be willing to allow things to be given over to God through prayer. And not just prayer in the sense of complaining about how bad things are, but actually finding things to be thankful for in the midst of all that's going on, right? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, 
let your requests be made known to God. And I wonder if you're, you know, thinking about things that are going on in your own soul and in your own life and in your own mind. Have we actually prayed about those things? Have we chosen to take them to God? And secondly, what does that prayer look like? Has it looked like complaining and complaining and complaining about whatever it is? Or is there an element of thanksgiving that's mixed in? I'm not saying that we can never complain to God. Of course, we bring all of our emotions. But I think this is telling us that in the midst of what might be really difficult circumstances, there is always something to be thankful for. And it's the, whether it's just the faithfulness of God, whether it's the fact that he's listening, we can bring thankfulness into our prayers, no matter how difficult the situation might be. And then it also says, you know, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just and pure and lovely and praiseworthy, meditate and think about these things. And there is an element where we are responsible for stewarding our thought life. And that's not saying, again, that you can never think a negative thought. You can never think a thought that, you know, isn't always up and positive. No, but it's taking time to make sure that we reflect on those things in our world that in fact are true and are noble and are praiseworthy. And I'm sure that we can all find a list of things. If we sat down, and I know I've done this at different times, sit down and write down all the things that you're thankful for, all the things that are true and noble and just and praiseworthy. And very quickly you find that there's actually a longer list than perhaps you might have thought before you started writing them down. And make a point to think about those things. Again, this isn't about, you know, getting rid of every single negative thought because that's unrealistic and nobody, nobody lives like that. But making a point to try to fill our minds with more thoughts that are about things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and of good report. There's, there's so many things if we sat down that we'd be able to add to that list. And thirdly, in verse 9 of Philippians 4, it says, The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And that to me speaks about living in obedience, actually doing the things that God's asked us to do. And I think so often when it comes to guarding our hearts and our minds, it can come back to have we actually done the last thing that God asked us to do? That might be reading a particular passage of scripture. It might just be sitting in a chair for 10 minutes and taking a break. What, or maybe it is calling someone, reaching out. Have we actually put into practice or obeyed the things that God's asked us to do? And these three things around prayer and our thoughts and obedience, I, I, I love that they're picked up here in Philippians because it's so similar to what is mentioned in Exodus 23. It says, be on your guard before him. And then this is the next bit. Listen to and obey his voice. Don't be rebellious toward him or provoke him. In other words, pray and listen and obey and focus on God and his ways. And so if we're feeling fearful or anxious or unsettled or perhaps even tormented in our souls, then this provides us with a little bit of a, a process that we can go through to help us come back to the protection and the guard of God thinking about what your prayer life looks like, the things that are, you know, unsettling your soul and, and stirring around in your mind and your will and your emotions. Have we prayed about those things? And what have those prayers looked like? What kind of thoughts are, are filling our minds? And perhaps writing down a list of things that are lovely and true and praiseworthy. I find one of the things that 
you know, helps me if I want to try and focus my mind back on the goodness of God is, you know, reading through a few of the Psalms at the end of Psalms from 145 to 148. There's so many Psalms that at, at the end there, you know, three or four in a row that basically just uh, a long list of praising God for different parts of the character and what, what he has done in his creation. And sometimes it's helpful to just go and sit and read through those and you begin to, to see all of the things that are praiseworthy. And then that part of obedience. What, what have we learned and received even over the years? Perhaps in preaching that you've listened to or your own time with God, are we putting into practice the things that we've heard and learnt over the years? You know, again, we so often move on so quickly, move on, you know, into the next thing and the next revelation and the next bit. But have we actually put into practice some of the things that we know perhaps we should do based on the the life that that we've walked with the Lord? Do we need to revisit some of those things? And as I mentioned before, is there something that God has asked us to do? It might be something really simple, but it's in obedience that we find ourselves back in that place of the peace of God protecting and guarding our hearts and our minds. Because obedience really is the the best form of protection of all. My my personal view is that I think sometimes we spend way too much energy, way too much of our time focusing on trying to win this battle and get victory over here and get victory over there, overcome this attack and overcome this spirit and overcome this issue when actually we'd be better off and we'd live in greater levels of rest and freedom if we just put that same amount of energy into obeying the next step God's calling us to take, right? Sometimes all of that can be too much of a distraction and we're putting all of our energy into this when actually if we just walked the next step that God's calling us to take, we might find that as he promises in Exodus 23, he will be an enemy to our enemies and he will be an adversary to our adversaries. Right? But if you will indeed listen to and truly obey his voice and do everything that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. And I've been really struck by that promise that for me, this is saying in many ways that the most powerful form of spiritual warfare is obedience to the voice of God. The most powerful form of spiritual warfare is obedience to the voice of God because obedience releases the power of God to fight on our behalf. And so perhaps it's worth taking time to reflect on what are some of the little things that we felt prompted to do and have we obeyed in what God has asked us to do? You see, this first step in this journey of finding rest for our souls and continuing to go deeper in rest is is learning to be in that place of guarding our hearts and our minds where the peace of God stands guard. And that's through prayer and through our thoughts and obedience so that we can remain in the protection and the guard of God. Rest is found in the protection and guard of God. And it's in that safe place, in the shelter of the Most High, that we can then begin opening up our hearts and allowing God to search and illuminate and reveal things perhaps that are stealing our rest. He lovingly, right, gentle and lonely in heart, that promise from Matthew 11 where he begins to convict and uproot and break down and dismantle things that don't belong in the land of our souls. Exodus 23, the next part of that passage that we read out before. Exodus 23, 24 to 25. And it says, You shall not bow down to worship their gods nor serve them, 
nor do anything in accordance with their practices. You shall completely overthrow them and break down their sacred pillars and images of pagan worship. You shall serve only the Lord your God. See, this, the next step in our journey of finding rest is about finding the unhealthy things that, that we construct and we build in our hearts and our souls. God tells Israel that they need to break down and smash everything that isn't of him. And so if we're honest, you know, I'll put my hand up and I know that there's things that I've built in my mind, in my emotions, in my heart that really shouldn't be there. And the challenge often for us, though, is is taking the time to actually look across the land of our souls. It's taking the time to survey the land of our mind and our emotions and work out what's there. You know, because for some of us, perhaps we've constructed walls over the years. Perhaps it's unforgiveness or bitterness or whatever it might be. We've constructed walls that are keeping out the rest that God's wanting to bring in. And in other ways, perhaps we've constructed altars and temples for things that really all they're doing is stealing rest from us and they have no rightful place in the land of our souls. So perhaps in some ways we've built walls to stop what God wants to get in from getting in. And in other places we've made homes for things to dwell in the land that shouldn't be there in the first place. And so when you look across the land of your own heart and your own soul, I wonder what you see. Do you see walls? Do you see buildings? Do you see altars? And what are they? And perhaps it's worth just taking time, and it doesn't necessarily need to be now, but taking time to close your eyes and ask God to help you survey the land of your soul and what's there. Because perhaps if we don't see anything at the moment, maybe it's time to ask God to to open our eyes because we've all got stuff there. We've all got walls. We've all got altars, I'm sure, that that we've built over the years. And as I said, some of those things that might have been a wall that was built a long time ago or an altar that was built a long, long time ago that you've grown accustomed to. Although I wonder whether perhaps there's some things that we're building right now and it's time to, to take stock and do we need to put those shovels and those trowels down and it's actually not something we're meant to be building. Walls of unforgiveness, bitterness, fear, self-protection, insecurity, all of them that are stopping the river of rest from flowing into the land of our souls. All those altars and temples, those In many ways, I think about them as really unhealthy coping mechanisms. That's really what an idol is in in so many ways. And that's been the most helpful definition. read it in a book that Sarah and I were reading a few years ago, that idols ultimately are just coping mechanisms outside of God. The things that we turn to and we construct these idols, these coping mechanisms to deal with stress, to deal with fear, to deal with anxiety, to deal with pressure, to deal with expectation, whatever it might be. And, and many of the things that become idols and coping mechanisms in and of themselves aren't actually wrong, right? It's the, it's the reliance and the dependence that we put upon them that means they end up unhealthy and idolatrous, Right, just thinking about there's nothing wrong with watching TV. We all probably enjoy watching TV at different times. But if we end up watching TV to escape dealing with our own emotions and feelings instead of going to God, then TV has become an idol and a coping mechanism. And perhaps there's an altar that needs to be torn down in the land of our souls. Whether it's playing games or social media or different sorts of hobbies, all sorts of things. I mean, for me, I've 
I feel like there's different times that I throw myself into different stuff. For a while there, I was spending too much time on the real estate app, and that was probably me, my escape from dealing with different things. I deleted the real estate app, and now I'm spending all my time on the luxury escapes app, planning <laughs> planning the next holiday, right? And, and we all have these kind of coping mechanisms and ways that we choose to escape, and just Sarah's kind of busted me a few times, like, are you on there again? <laughs> But we all have these things that we that we turn to. And again, there's nothing wrong with you know being on the real estate app or looking at the next holiday or watching TV or whatever it is, but being conscious of are we turning to those in the moments when actually we should be turning to the Lord to deal with feelings or stress or whatever it might be. And like I said, so many of them can actually be good things. You know, we've seen people, and many of you might have, have seen people as well who throw themselves fully into really, church activity and religious activity. And they're so busy in doing things. And part of that perhaps is them being afraid to actually sit at home in some of the stuff that they're dealing with. And they prefer to be out busy all the time rather than actually taking the time to allow God to deal with things in their hearts. And so, again, it's going through in our own way with the Lord. What are we constructing? What are we turning to? And how are we coping with the different things that are going on in our hearts and our souls. And, and this searching of our hearts, this searching of our souls, again, thankfully, is not something that we need to, to do all alone. I think if it was left up to me, I'd probably struggle to see anything, right? <laughs> There's this element of kind of emotional and, and soul-level maturity that you need in partnership with the Spirit of God to discern what's going on, right? If we're left to our own devices, well, certainly most men probably, you'd be like, oh no, my soul's fine, I'm all good. There's nothing going on there. (laughs) Because just like we're not very good security guards, I feel like I'm also not a very good discerner of some of the emotional stuff that's going on in my soul. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. We need the help of the Word of God, that kind of mirror to hold up to be able to discern what's going on inside of us. And there is a a very real connection between entering into rest, entering into the promised land of rest, and the conviction and the self-awareness that comes by spending time in the Word of God. Hebrews 4, 11 to 12. And it's fascinating when you start reading through different parts of Scripture, how much rest is mentioned all throughout different parts of the Bible. And as I said, I think in the past, I'm not sure I've given it the focus and the priority that it probably should have. Hebrews 4, 11 to 12. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You can see clearly just how important the Word of God is if we're going to be those that are understanding what's going on and dealing with the things that are a part of our souls. It's through the conviction of the Word of God that we're able to see the true thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It's through the Word of God that we're able to discern what is of our unhealthy soul realm and what is of the Spirit of the Lord. It's only the Word of God illuminated by the Spirit that, that, that can properly divide between soul and spirit. In our own strength, in our own flesh, we can't work out 
the dividing line between soul and spirit. It's only the sharpness of the word of God that begins to divide those two and we begin to see what sits where. And so if we're going to be people who are growing in rest, then we need to be people who are reading the word of God, but not reading it just for information, not reading it just so we can feel good about whatever it is, but actually reading it so that we can say, God, bring your conviction, bring your discernment, bring your adjustment into my life. Because I've kind of reflected on this and Sarah and I were talking about it a bit that I honestly think one of the most damaging lies for our spiritual growth, and, and I have seen it across different parts of the body of Christ, is that somehow conviction is a bad thing. That is a really destructive and damaging lie because we can't grow without the conviction of the Spirit. We will never be able to grow as followers of Christ. We will never be able to find greater levels of rest and freedom unless we welcome and embrace the conviction and the discipline and the rebuke and the adjustment and the correction of the Spirit. And I think sometimes we avoid it for all sorts of, of different reasons. Perhaps it is uncomfortable. Perhaps we do think somehow that being convicted is punishment for a mistake that we've made. But that is a lie. God, in bringing conviction, it's an expression of his love towards us. It's not an expression of anger or punishment. It's an expression of love in him wanting to train us and lead us and grow us in his ways and his purpose. And so we need to be people who at times perhaps deliberately choose to read the passage of Scripture that we know perhaps we feel uncomfortable about because it's going to tell us to do something that we don't want to do or respond in a way that we don't want to respond. We often just focus on the, the pieces of Scripture that you know, tell us what we want to hear or give us the encouragement that, that we want to give. And that's why it's so important to read through all of Scripture and read through the whole Bible and have a theology that touches on the good and the bad, the easy and the painful, the challenging, the convicting and the encouraging. We need the conviction of the Spirit because we won't grow and we certainly won't find rest for our souls without the conviction of the Spirit. So rest is found in the protection of God, but rest grows in the conviction of the Spirit. Rest grows in the conviction of the Spirit. You see, conviction, rebuke, and discipline, as I mentioned before, it's nothing to be afraid or ashamed of. It's not punishment. It's something to be embraced as an expression of the love of God towards us. Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 7, in the Passion Translation, it says, My child, don't underestimate the value of the discipline and training of the Lord God. Or get depressed when he has to correct you. Really interesting. There's kind of two sides to the coin there, isn't it? Sometimes we're underestimating and perhaps diminishing the importance of the correction and the conviction. And other times we feel it too heavily as a burden and punishment and as if God's angry with us. But this specifically says, don't do either of those things. For the Lord's training of your life is the evidence of his faithful love. And when he draws you to himself, it proves you are his delightful child. Fully embrace God's correction as part of your training, for he is doing what any loving father does for his children. And in some ways, it's encouraging that this was written in the book of Hebrews all those years ago, that kind of wrestling with how to healthily respond to conviction was obviously an issue back then, as much as it is an issue to, for us today. 
And I'm not sure I'd quite thought about it in the same way as it's expressed here before, but for me, it was really helpful seeing those two sides of the coin, that at times we underestimate the conviction. We underestimate or diminish or dismiss the conviction. And that really is kind of quenching the spirit, isn't it? And, and perhaps we've done that. I know I've done that at times where you're kind of dismissive of the nudge, dismissive of the conviction and, and think perhaps you know better or you know that what you're doing isn't really that bad or whatever it might be. We can be on that side of the coin or we can be on the other side. And perhaps in different areas of your, of your life, you're on both sides of the coin at the same time where the other side is where you're so heavily burdened by the conviction that you're feeling like it's punishment or God is angry with you because of a mistake that you've made. And neither of those are correct. It's actually coming to the place where we we see conviction as a loving expression of a father towards his children. We need to be those that are committed to conviction. And I wonder, as you reflect on your own heart, your own soul, your own mind, your own emotions, the own things that you're dealing with, what's your perspective on on conviction and discipline at the moment? Are we perhaps underestimating and and, and dismissing it? Or do we see it as punishment and, and God getting angry with us? Are we opening up the Word of God and actually inviting the conviction and the correction? One of our old pastors shared with us a few years ago, and it stuck with me, that an acronym for CARE is Conviction, Adjustment, Rebuke, and Encouragement. And, and that really means three quarters of CARE is actually about correcting and adjusting and, and leading you down. And, and the last one is Encouragement. And, so, well, and, and you think about it just from a natural perspective. When you're parenting young kids, it feels like sometimes... You know, three quarters of what we say is trying to correct and adjust um, rather than necessarily kind of positively saying you made a good choice there. It's actually about trying to, to readjust and reorder some of the, the paths that they're walking down. And that's the same in our own lives. And I pray that we would begin to see that as care. We would see that as love and begin asking God for it. And, and that acronym has helped me. I, I try to consistently... You know, in my own prayer time with the Lord, ask for and and say, Lord, I want your discipline. I want your rebuke. I want your correction. I want your adjustment because otherwise we won't be growing. And so I want to encourage us to to spend time opening the word of God, perhaps reading passages that, you know, might be a little bit uncomfortable, asking God to bring conviction and correction into our lives. And the other one, and I'm sure some of you have, have your own ways of, trying to embrace the conviction of God in your lives. But the other one I've tried to begin doing is if I feel like my emotions are going down a place that I know they shouldn't or I'm sensing stress or I'm sensing whatever it might be, trying to stop and actually go, Lord, help me to process these feelings in a healthy way. You know, actually choosing to stop and pray that prayer because I've found, at least for me, as I mentioned before, I'm not always the greatest at discerning what's going on emotionally. And so being able to stop and ask God for help in processing them and understanding them, I've found quite helpful. I don't do it as much as I should, but it has helped me in trying to be more aware of what's going on and how to kind of come back to God and not let the the stress or the anxiety or whatever it might be ultimately end up in an unhealthy place. And so I I say all of that to simply say that we want to be people who are committed to conviction. 
Right, John 16, 8, along with sin, the Holy Spirit also convicts us of righteousness and, and of the coming judgment. And so growing in our identity as righteous sons and daughters of God is such an important part of finding rest. If we're not secure in our identity, if we're not secure in our right standing before the Lord, that's probably going to lead us down a path where we do fear conviction because we're worried that somehow that's going to impact our standing before the Lord. But when we recognise, and as we've talked about a bunch over the last six months, who we are in Christ, what His blood has done for us, that we are seated at the right hand of the Father in Christ Jesus. His blood is there still speaking forgiveness, acceptance over us, that, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. From that place, we're able to freely embrace the conviction and the correction of a loving Father. And Hebrews 12, 11 to 13, just a couple of verses on from the passage we just read. And it says, All discipline seems to be painful at the time, yet later it will produce a transformation of character, bringing a harvest of righteousness and peace to those who yield to it. Isn't that powerful? The righteousness and peace comes to those who yield to it, not necessarily just those who hear it, but those who yield to it. So be made strong even in your weakness. And I love this. This is from the Passion Translation. Be made strong even in your weakness by lifting up your tired hands in prayer and worship and strengthen your weak knees. For as you keep walking forward on God's paths, all your stumbling ways will be divinely healed. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful passage? And what a great promise. That yes, in our tiredness, in our weariness, in our burdens, we can lift up our hands in prayer and worship. And as we keep walking forward on God's paths, as we stumble our way forward, we will find healing and rest for our souls. And I take some encouragement from this, not only because the reality is, you know, all of us at times have tired hands and, and weary souls and being able to come to God in that place, but also that it tells me it takes time, right? Discipline seems to be painful at the time, yet later it will produce a transformation of character. There's this kind of process that we need to go through. And certainly for me, I feel like I'm still on that process. I'm still waiting for that kind of character transformation at a later point in time in some areas, right? Where you go, uh, I'd prefer it wasn't suddenly, but sometimes it is that step by step, little by little, as we read in Exodus at the very beginning. It's not always a quick process, but healing and finding rest for our souls. It happens as we stumble our way forward on God's path, step by step, little by little. Right? Exodus 23 and 30. We read it at the very beginning and we paused on it briefly. What did God say? He's not going to drive all those enemies out in a single year. He will drive them out before you little by little until you have increased and are strong enough to take possession of the land. And we're going to dig more into that next week. I think I want to just take time this morning to just create space for us to allow the Spirit of God to speak to our hearts, to speak to our minds, to speak to our souls and highlight things that perhaps we might want to deal with in our own way, in our own space with Him. Because next week, I think it's a whole nother thing of looking at what does it mean to drive those people out of the land? What does it look like little by little? Why does God do that? How does that play out in our practical lives? So we'll dig into that next week. But right here and right now, I want us to reflect on our hearts, reflect on our souls and, and take some steps towards 
finding greater rest. Because rest, as we said, is found in the protection of God, but it grows in the conviction of the Spirit. And so how are we going at at guarding our hearts? What prayers are we praying? What thoughts are we thinking about? Have we been obedient to the things that God's asked us to do? Are there some things that perhaps we've constructed in our hearts that need to come down? Some walls perhaps that need to be torn down so that river of rest can flow through the land of our souls again. Wrong altars, idols, those coping mechanisms that need to be dismantled. And do we need to perhaps be more conscious of inviting and embracing the conviction of God as an expression of His love for us. And so we're just going to open up the space in worship and in prayer. And my prayer is that we would lift up our tired hands, that we would walk forward into the loving arms of Jesus and respond to that beautiful invitation from Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light.